Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to, I got two guests on the show today, Grace Corey and Phil Harris. How are you guys both doing today? Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, let's jump right into it. Insight Analytical. So Phil, I'm going to turn this one over to you. We just jumped into an elevator. Maybe we're downtown. Maybe we're back in the office. Who knows? And um, you're going to give me the quick little spiel. What is Insight Analytical all about? And what do you guys do? And what problems in the world do you solve? Insight Analytical. Uh, we're um, kind of a manufacturer's rep distributor. We sell products, but we also provide integrated services, solutions for people. Big thing we'd like to think about us is we're Pretty technical on how we approach stuff. Kind of the nerdy propeller head guys that kind of go, I really want to work out a solution here. You know, how are we going to make something work? And we solve problems for the oil and gas industry, primarily on the measurement side of things, how they determine what products they're making and are they running their plants as well as they can. What, what, that was we didn't we have so many more floors phil this is going to be a good this is going to be a good <laughs> you said you, you said a couple of things that i want to kind of unpack a little bit and just the reality of the role you like working on solutions but yet you're you guys you rep products you bring products in from other manufacturers are you guys then taking those products and then like basically working with your clients to say hey here's how this can work for you and i know that that weird oem distributor relationship sometimes I've met a lot of companies, they're just middlemen and they just like, yeah, we can get it for you and we can get it at a good price in a timely fashion. But what I'm hearing for you guys is no, 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 we take it further and we actually roll up our sleeves and figure out how this thing is going to work the best for you. Exactly. Actually, we even kind of try to look okay. at it another way even of almost saying, instead of talking to you even about what product you want, you talk to us about what problem you have right now. And then we're going to try to say, hey. Fall in, fall in love, fall in love with the problem, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I had an old friend who was a salesman and he used to say, you know, the hardest person to ever sell anything to is someone who's happy with what they're doing. <laughs> I think as a marketer, I think you just covered the nut of it. If we can keep people constantly striving for something else, we can always sell them stuff. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but B2B and B2C are very different. How long have you guys been around? What's your, what's your time frame? What's your history? We incorporated in 2015. I kind of started working on it in 2013. 
Um, okay. Yep. So 2013 and 2015, like really good time to be getting into the energy into the energy sector. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like, you know, I think we all remember, I think it's quick we forget, but it's been a few years in 2013, I feel was my wife worked at a company and we had a bunch of options and I think it peaked at 10 bucks and I think it got down to 30 cents before it finally disappeared. So, you know, th that pile of magic beans disappeared. I think that started at the end of 2013, if I'm not mistaken. I have a scar, I think somewhere here on my right arm from it. <laughs> Tell us about starting a business at that time. Yeah. What the impetus was of like, this is a great time to do this. You're, you're, you're so right. I mean, I, so I talk to people a lot of times. Grace probably gets tired of it, but I talk, started a lot of talks off with, you know, what makes a great boxer and a great comedian is having good timing. And my timing was horrible to start a business in the oil and gas sector. <laughs> and I'm not a great boxer either, so there you go. Um, <laughs> but and, and comedian, we'll, 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 we'll decide that one at the end of the yeah, show. We got 45 minutes to figure that out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was doing, you know, I had been in the oil and gas sector all probably well, since 1993. I'd been working in the sector a lot and I had just found an opportunity. I was working, doing consulting work for a company in the U.S. And they had this great new product they were going to bring to market. And they had no way to sell it in Canada. And so I saw an opportunity to say, hey, we could bring this awesome technology to Canada. And it did solve a bunch of problems. You know, going back to what I said before, like, we were, we were doing work in the U.S. We were going, hey, people are really happy with this. And there's lots of opportunities for this for guys up in Canada. Curious about that dynamics. I've heard often, and again, I'm being very generalist here, that you know people look to Western Canada for our prowess and our thought leadership in our in our energy sector. Uh, but then, you know, obviously, other parts of the world do amazing things, and you are bringing something in. How hard it was to like? Is that a reality for you? Like, are we a thought leader in that in that sense? And I guess, be, is there any correlation to us either being open or not open to new ideas coming into the sector that are going to change the quote unquote the way we've always done it? <laughs> Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, certainly I think we are viewed as thought leaders in a lot of the stuff. Like we do, you know, when you hear, and you hear the big plugs, the political plugs about, you know, how are the most environmentally, uh, safety, governance, all that sort of stuff, all this ESG compliance and that. But it's really true. We're an industry, we're a pretty responsible member of the oil and gas industry worldwide. And we do try to bring in a lot of new ways to do things. You know, that being said, it's an industry that can be hard to convince to adopt new technologies, especially when they've got a long track record of doing something the same and you try to go in with something new. When I launched this in Canada, I used to joke about it. I was, I was like a Mormon. Have you heard the word of the Lord today? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and we know, well, and again, I'll speak for myself. I know how I might respond to that knock at the door. Yeah. But, uh, Grace, Grace, I'm going to turn this over to you a little bit. Longtime industry professional, your marketing director at Insight Analytical. Talk to, talk to us from the trenches of getting out there, selling this, these things, selling change. I guess let's talk about that. Like not, we'll get to the product in a second, but here's a better mousetrap. I'm fine with my mousetrap. I catch all the mouses I need, uh, the mices, mouses, all the mice I need to catch. What's it been like for you? And just maybe even talk a little bit about your journey in the industry from sales since 2013 to today and, and kind of what you've seen, what, what do you see work and what are some of the doors that you get slammed of, geez, I have no interest in doing something different. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, sales in the last probably, uh, well, since 2013 has been, they have, it has been trenches for sure. It has yeah. been a war scene out here for sure. There's no questions asked, but um, I think when you're asking the question about the mouse trap, and, you know, I would ask, are they catching all the mice? 
And that's kind of the, the thing that we're doing at Insight. Are, are we capturing everything we need to capture? Are we, are we optimizing the, you know, your product all the way to the end? And that's, that's what products like analyzers and online analyzers and products that Insight Analytical does and sells is optimize, make you more money. You know, we're not leaving money on the table kind of thing. So products like that, um, they're easy to sell, but the idea of um, change is big. There's products in the industry that are being used currently right now that really don't work. And that's been, I haven't been with Insight that long. I've been in the, I've been with Insight really only for three months. So I'm, there's, you know, okay, bear with okay, me as I'm explaining my scenario here. Yep, in, nope, in the Insight I appreciate the space. context. <laughs> um, but, but what I have seen in these three short months is that there's product out in the field for, to, to analyze composition that just don't work. And they're just sitting out there doing nothing. And most of the time that's because what I'm learning anyways, and correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, is improper application and installation was not done properly or there wasn't you know there wasn't the proper questions being asked prior to these products being put in or whatnot so one of the things that I'm learning at Insight is we're asking the questions ahead of time to really truly understand what it is that you need as a solution not just us coming in and saying hey we have this product anybody could do that but are we are we coming up with a solution and have we fixed what maybe is going on out there for you and then changing your mind on the analyzer space and that these products do work if we ask the appropriate questions and if we have the right, um, the right uh, I guess, synergies come to play, if you will. So for curious for you guys, for something like this, this is almost be interesting. Like you're not coming in with a brand new idea. This is something existing that people are aware of, but maybe what they think about this thing, analyzers more specifically, and we'll unpack that technically a little bit in a second. But I'm always curious, like as a marketer, I've got somebody that one maybe thinks their problem solved or ah, that thing's never really worked for us. So there's kind of a negative shadow that falls on top of the whole setup. So from your guys' perspective, is it more that? Is it more, and of course I want to talk about about the last bunch of years, how companies have been looking to optimize and do more with less and be efficient and kind of squeeze every penny out of they can. But is this a little bit of a black box or maybe a black shadow? And Phil, Phil, you, we're, we're on video here, so I can see him nodding yes. Talk to us a little bit about having to change a mind space from like, hey, this technology actually is valuable. And no, it isn't just something you bought a bunch of years ago and paid money for that didn't help you. Because that's a reality when you're trying to shift mindset, right? Yeah, it's been so one. Whoever of, wants to grab that one. Sure, I, I'll start. I mean, it's been a big uphill battle, really, because... There's been a lot of equipment that's installed. If you go to any operating gas plant or refinery in Alberta, you can go in there and say, hey, show me some of the stuff that's hanging on a wall that you guys don't use anymore. And they've got gear all over the place that they go, yeah, we just shut this thing off. It never worked. And fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with the analyzer itself. It's all been implementation or put in the wrong technology in for an application. Okay, so so some and is that just the fact that was there just people out selling gear to sell gear and not like because yeah there's the whole thing around it and that's or is it also companies going no no we don't need to buy the service package because we already get it well don't worry we got we got this we're and we're engineers we're smart we know what we're doing I'm just trying to understand it a little bit because I think this this is obviously a bigger issue than what just you guys have faced with your piece I think it's more of a commentary on big industry in general I, yeah and I think it's I think it's been uh, sadly it's been a bit more of the people looking for opportunistic sales you know hey i've got gear i know people have used it in your kind of plant before someplace else and so i'm going to try to sell this to you even though i know maybe it didn't work so well we actually had a customer in recently was talking to us about how he got pitched 
a certain piece of technology. And the guy said, well, we installed them at this other plant. And he said, when I talked to the other plant, they told me, yeah, we installed them, but they never worked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, just, well, that's the risk of like just chasing the sale, right? Yeah. And meeting, meeting your monthly quotas and, 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 and all, all that. How much like for the industry, obviously Phil, both of you have been in the industry for extended periods of time. How much has the industry changed? Like those, I've had certain clients and I'm maybe referencing my own conversations of like people in the field have got shunted around. They've got more stuff on their plate. You've got, you've got guys, gals that are, you know, in charge of certain areas now where they maybe were expert in one part of it, but now they've got all this stuff under their preview that they don't necessarily understand. They don't, they're not experts in, maybe they don't want to admit that they're not experts in it. Like how have you seen that shift over the last bunch of years as companies have really leaned out specifically from a staffing and expertise perspective? Is it, is it harder for the people out in the field that just have to know a little bit about kind of everything or am I over, oversimplifying the whole story? Grace, what are your thoughts? Uh, what feet, you know, field and, and then I guess downtown, if you will, uh, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that them differently. Operate yeah. differently. Yeah. Um, you know, field for sure with the layoffs, you know, from 2013, really the heavy layoffs in 2015, um, you know, Alberta, BC, Saskatchewan was decimated. We were decimated those years. Um, there was bloodshed all over downtown, as you know, and I hate to use such harsh words, but that's what well, it, it was real. Like. For anyone who lived through it, they you won't were, be thinking you're exaggerating. <laughs> you know, it was, it was wild watching people walk out of buildings like that. Like I did witness that in 2015 and that's tough. So, uh, I was part of a layoff in 2015. Yeah, no, 2015 myself. So, um, you know, lucky I, I got back on my feet fairly quickly but a lot of people did not so with that being said um, yes absolutely uh, positions had more put onto them uh, people were taking on more roles and responsibility in areas that they didn't know or were able to speak to and I would say that a lot of the decisions in my space and that you know where I've been working lately facility engineering and whatnot um, those decisions came out of the field a lot of the times and moved into the downtown space and mm, you know okay. the engineering firms have always kind of been there in between the end users and whatnot but um, you know, supply chain and procurement have become quite the powerhouse in industry as of late, right? Whereas it used to be field engineer downtown would call Joe Blow out in the field, Mr. Field Guy, they'd have a discussion, things would get discussed, um, decisions would be made, but now it seems like there's more decisions being made facility engineering than into supply chain and procurement. And a lot of the times, mm. I think in in my experience in supply chain, and I'm not trying to knock that area, they may not understand fully what's going on in the application to put forward ideas or equipment or, you know, certain tools that might optimize a field or maybe work okay. better out in the field or whatnot. So um, that's just kind of one perspective. On it, that, it's certainly, say. it's but, not to but criticize, we've out. but yeah, we're forcing, and there's no criticism. Yeah, it's just change. It's we're just forcing change. people it's to be generalists in areas that do require some deep technical expertise. Like that's a tough that's dichotomy a tough when dichotomy. you put those two together. And then for you guys yeah. now coming in yeah. with a technically oriented product that maybe has a, you know, you're, you're kind of moving the idea uphill. Yeah. We already have that piece of gear and it didn't work. It didn't work for us. So, you know, if I'm even going to be in the conversation, why is your, why is yours different? So let's get into the, let's, let's geek out a little bit because I'm getting way outside my comfort zone here, but Phil, tell us how do these things work? You obviously, you, you partnered with this product out of the U S because you believed in it. You said, Hey, you know what? This is legit. <laughs> this, this black box of magic that, that comes out of this, you know, so much tech until you understand it. it's just a black box that you bolt to a wall. But what was it about what you guys picked and, and can, Ultimately, what's the real upside and value it creates for the companies you sell to? So, yeah, I mean, they, so these guys kind of had a, you know, it's always, everybody wants to say that revolutionary, but evolutionary, revolutionary new way of doing things. Um, you know, and so traditional products that have been put out in the field were always based first on something that worked really well in the lab. 
So, but a lab, you got okay. clean environment, temperature control, everything's, you know, perfect sample. Oh, my sample's dirty, I'll run it through a filter first and all that sort of stuff. Product fluids in the field are dirty and messy to deal with. And so these guys implemented a te technology that instead of using a bunch of mechanical parts and little bits of tubing and moving parts, like as in a traditional analyzer, like a gas chromatograph or a vapor pressure analyzer, they used infrared light and shot a beam of light across the sample. And look at how the colors of the light changed as they went across the sample and said, we can interpret everything from looking at the pattern in that light. And wow, that's so no cool. moving parts. I got, I got my old science hat on. That is, that's, 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 a, that's a very easy to understand. And certainly it sounds very simplistic. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, it is, it is a simplified method of sort of, or describing it, if you like, because I mean, there's not some complexities that come into it, but the big thing about it is it's got big pieces of tubing and pipe running through a place where the liquid flows. So it doesn't plug off and get dirty like a bunch of the other stuff does out in the field. And because it's based on what it sees in the light, it's really fast. So you can start to do process control. You know, the analogy I use is, imagine trying to drive your car but at constant speed, but you're only allowed, the speedometer only comes on for one second every 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah, That's uh, what traditional I, analyzers I are like. I, I, see, I, see, I see speeding tickets in my future. Yeah. <laughs> lost my background okay so from a technology from a technology perspective it's 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 it, they made a better mousetrap yep. arguably and i know that's an old an over an oversimplified way so it, talk to me a little bit about you started this back in 2015 you're in the downturn you've got what you believe is a sound product in a market that maybe already thinks they know about the thing the problem you're solving how has been building the business like let's talk about the nuts and bolts of putting a team together and doing this and and was this just you did you kind of get funding a little bit like talk to us a little bit about the journey of it all sounds great when you we you know we're amount of years later and you've got a team and it's working but how were those first couple of years was it super lean was it was it was it you and a brochure in the trunk of your car i'm really over yeah, really pretty, that, pretty much it was me and my little bible okay, all right. that, that wasn't far yeah. Yeah. my white shirt yeah, yeah, yeah bible 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 sales yeah. you're black in the black name tag on your left side yeah um so tell me a little bit about that was that like did you get some traction and kind of fund it or did you bring in some investors or kind of what was that journey from you kind of as the, with your per business business owner hat on? So, yeah, it was, it's, it's all been self-funded. Um, you know, we got some help from banks, business development bank and stuff like that. You know, they're always willing to, if you're willing to sign your life away, they'll always give you money. Um, oh yeah. You put it, you put enough on the line, someone will give you money. Yeah. Absolutely. But, um, so that's why I say I kind of started in 2013, but didn't incorporate till 2015. A lot of the door knocking was happening 2014, 2015-ish. And then, you know, we got to the point where we actually started to get some traction. I had a colleague at Incana who said, hey, I can't commit to putting this new technology in at our new plant we're building, but I will fund a study done by a major engineering company to see if they think the technology is a good fit for what we want to do. You got to follow their process, right? And so, I mean, that was a huge thing for us, right? Because this big engineering company came out and said, hey, we wrote a 200-page report for you here and did this whole evaluation, and we think this is a good idea for you guys to try. And that let us get a, awesome. a big major customer like Encana on board. 
I've often heard in Calgary or in Alberta that there's a big lineup to be second. Mm. How hard is it to get that first, like to get that first person to go to the ball with you? Yeah, that's always a tough thing, right? Because everybody goes, well, it's, you know, we had zero installed base, not a one in Canada. Technology that had never been used in Canada. And it is so good that when I would describe it to people about all the features it has, the first thing they would say is, yeah, well, that sounds too good to be true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I almost had to. As we've all learned if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Exactly. <laughs> or yeah. unfortunately not yeah. in this case. Yeah. But obviously this was installed and in play down in the U.S. Does that, when Canada, when, when some of those big operators look at some of these big operators in the U.S., I'm assuming that there was track record or was it simply, well, you're not in our market, you're not in our formation, you're not in our substrates. Like, was that a bit of like, yeah, yeah, but you don't get us kind of thing? Was that a challenge? There's a little bit of that. Certainly both cross borders, both way. You try to bring a Canadian technology down to the U.S., you know, Grace is, we're trying to sell stuff down in the U.S. And they go, well, where's your U.S. office? Well, we don't have one yet. Yeah. Click. Yeah. And same yeah. here, up here, you know, they're going, well, it works down in the U.S., you know, but it's not minus 45 down there. And, you know, they have every reason why we're different, right? Of course. Which again, for other experiences, might be true, mm -hmm. just not in this one. So, Grace, yeah. talk about that from a from a director and a marketing marketing perspective. How do you tell that story, or how do you overcome that objection? Because there's lots of companies listening, going right now, going, "Yes, I just had that objection three times this week because I don't have boots on the ground in Houston or wherever the case may be." How do you have you? How do you tackle that? Tackle <clears throat> um, that. well, and again, and speaking from a past life, I'm, you, I guess, that if you really want U.S. business, there does come a point where you have to get some type of. Uh, your boots have to stay permanently on the ground down there. So, so that is a real, life, that is a real thing. That's kind of a make or break. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There was an office set up uh, in Houston for the company that I used to work for in the past. And there, you know, that's a satellite office, but there was an address and there was a phone number and there was, there was presence in the U S at this point, there are two representatives down there now for those guys, but you do need to be down there. You, and you need to be in Texas, depending on the, depending on what play you want to be involved in. Yeah. I just in. picked Houston because you know, I felt that was a safe, that was a safe jurisdiction. And, to it's, pick. and that's, and that's Houston and you know, Texas and all those areas are, you know, those are areas that, that Canada wants. The, you know, the technology that Canada has, we want to go down there if, it, if it's applicable and, and get it down there. But in my opinion, you have to have somebody working those areas if you want to get it done. It's very, and it, it, I'm sh you can do it remotely, but man, oh man, that's a challenge. And we've seen that over COVID um, being restricted to, you know, sales can be done, absolutely. But there's something to be said about being on the ground and being in person and shaking hands with somebody yep. and having that one-on-one -on -one with them. And that's how you gain their trust and their, and that's how you can really prove your product to them. If you're, you know, I'm not saying you can't do it online. It's, it's for sure. No, that, no but, but I appreciate the honesty. If you want to, if, yeah. if you want to penetrate a market, though, if you want to penetrate a certain area, you got to be there. You have to be there in some way. Mm -hmm. Curious, just to putting my marketing hat on, you guys clearly have invested in your website, which historically sometimes the energy sector or the industrial sector in general shies away from the digital world, the, the world of digital marketing. The last two years has taught us anything. More people are doing their own research. So curious, you guys have cleanly, clearly leaned in on that. So from a sales perspective, we talked about being boots on the ground, but when it talks to marketing and qualifying some of those leads and getting like your name out there, has digital played a big part for you guys or like what role has it played? Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to give Phil, like I said this to Phil, you know, when onboarding and whatnot, I, there was attention drawn to him over COVID because of his pivoting onto that online space. Mm -hmm. Insight realized what was going on and took the road or took the show on 
online basically is what happened. Webinars were going down. There was a constant presence on there. The, the website was built up. And I'll, I can let Phil speak to that more as I wasn't present for that building of all of that. But we've got an amazing uh, young man named Jaden who is phenomenal on that front and who is you know, with the support of Phil and team, built that website and built the content in there and has made it so that it is fluid when you visit our website. Well, which we is, it stands out. For, it does stand out. That's why I asked, for sure, because it Thank definitely you. was noticeable, to the point of basically having, you know, e-commerce functionality. And I don't know how many times I've argued with people that are like, oh, no, no one would ever buy our product online. I'm like... A lot of people said that before Amazon came along too. So you got to be, you know, I joke, when's Amazon your competitor? Well, kind of always because it's teaching your customer to act differently, even if they, what you sell isn't on Amazon, to be clear. So Phil, talk a bit about that because clearly for a lot of companies that feels like a risk sometimes to go. And well, let's be honest, it takes money and that's a finite thing. You've clearly invested in that. And now I'm, I'm really putting my marketing hat on because mm -hmm. you guys stand out in some of your, in your space from, from my perspective. Well, thanks. I, I like to think we do too. In some ways... It was a bit fortuitous because one of my other sideline gigs was I would travel the world teaching five-day courses on how to design these kind of analyzer systems. And when COVID kicked in, there was no travel anymore. But I had customers who still wanted it done. So we said, hey, we'll do it as an online course. So I quickly had to pivot and set up so I could do you know, on, long online courses. And then we said, well, you know, it's in the talking to the sales and marketing team, we said, well, let's do, we used to do lunch and learns in engineering company offices. Let's just launch this as webinars. And we had webinar series. We had one, we were trying to send out four packs of beer to people and call it indulging with insight and, uh, <laughs> and come online, have a beer with us. And we're going to talk about, you know, products and services and problems in the industry and stuff like that. Fantastic. How did, the, and like, how, did, it, did it get traction right away? There was it because COVID's gone through some cycles where people were like trying to get as much connection as they could. Then there was a little fatigue and now I find it's kind of leveled out. And, but I appreciate that early to the, you know, early to the table really paid off. I think in COVID, because a lot of companies are just getting there now, but it, the world's already, already shifted. So kudos for you guys for just being on it. And sometimes yeah, fortuitous necessity, like just get out of our own way and get it done is what I'm hearing loud and clear. Yeah. We had launched, like we, we launched our online service services by April, probably, you know, if you figure COVID kind of hit really around February was everybody started freaking out and stopping travel. We were up and running doing webinars and online courses by April. And, and now did the business grow because of it? Like, did you see a slowdown or did actually your ability to pivot into that? And like, how, like, and I'm not asking the numbers, but I'm kind of asking the numbers. How, how did it actually, what was the ROI? Like, did it work? It's our business typically has a, uh, a long sales cycle. Um, but what okay. we definitely saw was we got to start talking to customers that we had had difficulties getting into see before it was difficult to set up a meeting, but all of a sudden they go, Oh, I'll come on this webinar. Especially if you start to think of catchy titles like we sell another analyzer to measure um, in natural gas pipelines, they worry about whether there's water in the natural gas pipeline. And so we entitle a webinar called Got Wet Gas. And then we talk about the analytics for how you've solved that problem, right? And, but you want to catch people's attention, hook them, and then they go, well, I'll read this. And they go, oh, I'll go to that. 
The power of, yeah, yeah. I, you get a third of a second to get three seconds to get then the 30 minutes of, 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 of the webinar. Yeah. No, I really appreciate you guys. Like, and, and as a marketer, and we spend a lot of time in the B2B space, and it's still a struggle. There's a lot of B2B companies, or it just, I don't want to use B2B as oversimple, like industrial focused companies. Like, oh, our product is very technical. Like, marketing doesn't work for us. We've got really long sales cycles. You know, nobody finds us online. Like, we have to go out and sell it to them. But yeah, you've got customers that now want to do their own research. There's no barrier. Like, to come down to your office and go to a lunch and learn, that takes half my day, but to jump online and do a 30 minute webinar. So I'm seeing a big shift, but not all companies are there yet. So exciting to kudos to you guys for just kind of getting there right away and figuring it out as you go. Cause that's a little bit sometimes what it, what it feels like. Yeah. Thanks. We have, so we have a great talk- team. Everybody's been sort of, we've been talking about, yeah. okay, how do we, you know, what are we going to do? Everybody's pretty committed to trying to make us succeed. So he said, what do we got to do? Uh, yeah, take that energy and point in the right direction. So, talk to me a little bit about we've got hundred we've got hundred dollar oil or wh- whatever it happens to be at today. We've got governments, we've got an ecosystem, we've got a tech startup boom, we've got all kinds of things going on. So, Phil, you've obviously been in this ecosystem for a long time, or been in this marketplace. What are you seeing out there? Like, what gets you excited about what's happening in Alberta slash Calgary? What you know? What would you just blast out of the way if you could? <laughs> Um, there's the big, there's the rest of the show yeah, right yeah, there. No. We'll, we'll start, we'll start with the excited part because, you know, we'll be positive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think it's like, you're right. Like the big thing I think we're seeing is we are seeing a, a bit more diversification in the Calgary economy. We're starting to see tech companies coming in. We're also even starting to see like there's companies, you know, um, they kind of compete with us in an area, a company called Validare, where they're bringing high-tech digital services to try to say, hey, we're going to look at all of your analytical measurements and put them into a database for you and make it so data is accessible. So people are starting to look at how to apply technology all across our traditional industries and then also bringing in all of the you know, the new stuff that's coming in like Amazon and these guys are starting to say, hey, we're going to build an office in Calgary because it's got a a beautiful downtown, a young workforce that's very motivated. Um, there's a lot of things going for Calgary and for Alberta, right? Yeah, agreed. As, as the economy gets stronger with the oil and gas industry, it these other companies on the tech side are looking at, wow, I'm going to a city that has tons of engineers in it, has lots of people who have been involved in the sales and marketing of expensive products, you know, and so yes. they can build a, an infrastructure here really easily. So I think it's a really exciting time for Alberta. Um, Excellent. I could not agree with you more. Now let's pull out our magic wand and say, you know what? I'm going to knock this out of the way and that out of the way and blaze a trail here. Any, any, anything that's more fits in the angst category? Oh, the angst. <laughs> I feel this one's going to be more entertaining. Yeah, yeah. I'll let, I love Grace and I get out and chat and we both get pretty angsty about the whole thing. The politics side. I mean, yeah, I mean. So, so you just amp each other up. What, what, what do you think? Like, what's obviously there's so much unrest and so much polarization. It seems like if you to be for one thing, you have to be against something else. We feel like we've lost the ability to have kind of any kind of a middle, which is where often the the reality of the world lives is in, in the gray area. But we seem to be so divided on so many fronts. What what are you seeing? And kind of maybe what what would you change if you could? I, I think there's you know this whole perspective that um, that an energy transition can be done quickly. Um, I, I, I'm not against the idea that we maybe that an energy transition. I started in the nuclear industry, and back in you know you, I don't have all this white hair for no reason. I mean, back in the '80s, we were saying, "Hey, Greenpeace already knows the solution to pollution; they just don't like it." 
because we said <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell tell us more. Well, I mean, because we have the yeah, they said like you know we knew that nuclear power had no CO two emissions, no sulfur, no, no acid gas, acid rain emissions. So you know, in the seventies and eighties, the big thing was acid rain, right? Sulfur dioxide, NOx Fire, emissions yeah. from all these coal fire plants and, and burning, uh, everything was burning something, right? And so we're saying, just make all your electricity from nuclear and all those pollution issues go away. But that was not, the problem with some of these organizations is they're really almost anti-technology rather than anti-pollution. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, now there's people fighting against wind because they say, well, you know, it's visually bad, it vibrates the ground, it kills eagles, and so they're telling you all the things that are wrong about wind power. And then other people will say, then you cover all this land that could be good farmland and put solar panels on. So they're telling you all the things that are wrong with solar. So there's people who are just never going to be satisfied unless we truly do get all of our energy from unicorn farts. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Yep. No, a hundred percent. And that is interesting. Kind of that, you know, I've had chatting with some different people in the show and like this, this kind of like almost anti-project, like we were, Canada's become so against anything of any magnitude that could actually create change on, on a bigger scale. And I don't know how many years and some of the statistics, the last time that a major project was actually even completed in Canada. It's really interesting, but based on being so resource rich and like you said, why Canada, we, we should lead the way we have the technology, but this angst that kind of creates in between, it feels like Alberta is kind of because of hundred dollar oil. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how this journey is going to play out as energy transition is still top of the top of the conversation, but yet there's some money moving around to allow some of these big energy companies to have some bandwidth and some capital to invest in some of these other projects. And I don't know, I, again, I do not have a crystal ball, but I, I choose to be optimistic, which I guess optimism is a choice. <laughs> so from the perspective of what you guys see as being a business here um, and customers, uh, Grace, you guys are focusing on Canada. Is this a global opportunity for you guys in terms of business growth? Or right now, is it like, let's really get Western Canada and some specific areas in the US locked down? Like, what do you guys see going back to? I love exporting Calgary awesomeness around the world. And there's a lot of companies now that are thinking a lot bigger than our borders. Yeah, absolutely. And Phil would probably be able to speak a bit more to that. But, you know, obviously very much so Canada uh, from the up to mid to downstream space, you know, even in the refined, in the refined fuel space, we can definitely be of use in that area absolutely and we do have some installations in canada on that front already okay. um absolutely the united states we have definitely chatted about um internationally we have chatted about um phil would be able again to speak further to any of the bigger international stuff as far as you know what we've engaged in in the past and what we're hoping to maybe do uh in that sense but definitely western canada or canada as a whole and then uh niche, niches in the united states for sure are targets and all aspects or all sectors of industry for sure. Okay. Not just oil and Not gas. Not just oil and gas. I, pre I appreciate that. Yeah. So Phil, yeah, when you think about mining, agricultural, there's, there's several areas, you know, that we want to, be exploring, not just oil and gas, the diversification mm. needs to be part of our part of our plan. Well, and I appreciate that even going on your website, like this isn't this isn't an energy play. Like I don't I don't think oil and gas when I look at your site, you guys have clearly positioned yourself. So Phil, to that to that end, how does a company, you know, a company in Calgary, when you think about global expansion, what does what does that look like to you? And what, what gets you excited about it? And again, what what real challenges do you see? Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it certainly is a challenge. You know, we're we're sort sort of always trying to figure that out. We've been really, again, we kind of sort of said, let's. I, I I kind of almost view it like a military analogy. You want to build a really good beachhead first, 
And so if you're going to do an invasion, we want to build a beachhead, right? So first we said, well, let's dominate what we do in Western Canada. Figure out all of our problems that we have. Build the ability to service all of our stuff. And then start looking for key markets where we perhaps have some opportunities. So again, Houston, you brought up. It turns out I've been involved with uh, the analyzer industry for a long time. And we got from the, going back to this digital marketing thing, we ended up getting this wonderful opportunity. There was a big conference going to go on in the States. And the people behind the conference said, we are still worried about COVID. We don't want to let people come face to face. And so a group of senior guys, Exxon, Shell guys, said, we actually want to have a physical conference. So we're going to promote it through a Houston group, but we don't have a website and we don't have all the abilities to market it. And I knew all these guys. And so they're marketing it actually through one of our websites right now. So we're promoting a big technology conference in the U.S. We're going to exhibit there, and that's going to be part of our big launch. Our big launch in the U.S. this year is this year. Fantastic. With a boots on the ground strategy that's going to be amplified with digital and having the right partners. I Because that's what I think it's so easy to forget. It's still all connected. Mm -hmm. It isn't one or the other. It is this journey and like, oh, we're, we're, all, we're only about in-person or only about trade shows. But yeah, but you got to get everybody excited to then get them on the ground for that for that one opportunity. Now, I love to hear that, you know, one, you guys work in an innovative space with what you do technology-wise, but your willingness to kind of break out of the mold of the, the this is the way we've always done it kind of mindset, which we all know what happens then that leaves you, that leaves you stagnant and quickly and quickly, you know, in a grave on the on the sidelines of, of companies that had good ideas that didn't get to go any go, go to go anywhere. Um, hey, I'm going to ask you something, uh, Phil. I'm going way off topic here, taking your background. Modular nuclear, small footprint nuclear react like reactors. Is that a is that a viable? Like, do we see that coming back as something that? And I've been on a couple podcasts where that's come up. And since you spent you brought up the word nuclear, I'm really I'm picking your brain now. Way off topic. But is that something we're going to go back to? Is that even on the table, or is it still a story that nobody wants to talk about? I think you're starting to see it getting some traction now. You're starting to see countries sort of going, yeah, we'd be willing to do this. You know, for the longest time, there was this whole not in my backyard thing, right? I don't want to build in my yeah, yeah, yeah. area, right? But um, I think people have, in this whole looking at the energy transition, they've seen that some of the things they've been trying to do, you know, look at, we just look at what's going on in Europe right now, hasn't quite panned out yeah. as planned. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, shut down all your nuclear it's a, reactors. It's a, it's a very kind way. It's a kind way to say it. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, I so, think there's also an interesting, sorry, go, no, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm thinking out loud. I'm just saying it's so easy to be like discriminatory when you have energy abundance in your backyard, mm -hmm. when you don't have energy abundance or energy scarcity. And as the West or we're, we're so privileged because we have, we can just leave lights on and not even think twice about it because we don't have to worry about rolling blackouts coming through our communities, you know? And I, I don't know, there's just so much around where we're positioned from. When you look at other aspects of the world where it, it's a little bit of an altruistic view because we're so spoiled yeah. <laughs> to be blunt. And, and you know, no, because and I think we're that's spoiled, good. but I think we could, Oh, sorry. No, no, no go ahead. this is the hair. This is where we get into it. Yeah. Grace, go ahead. I'll sure. turn <laughs> no, I just, I, I, I think, you know, we are, we have all of these beautiful natural resources that we could easily exploit in the most 
uh, uh, you know, ethical way, we just need some pipelines in the ground to do it. We need we oh, need yeah, our government to get the hell out of the way. <laughs> and you you ask you ask who do you want out of the way? Well, if I may, at this point, <laughs> this is where we're going to talk certain politicians that if we want to do this properly and environmentally, and we have indigenous communities on side in this in this space, like they want to see these things happen. We have federal people, federal officials who are in the way and not letting things happen due to, in my opinion, back deal doors that obviously don't want to see the East and West connect. So um, it, we need that out of the way in order for us to do this environmentally. You know, moving crude and, and our product by rail, I've been in that space for years. That is not the safest way to be moving these products. A pipeline is. A pipeline will give people jobs. It will move product. It will bring billions of dollars to this nation. Why the stall? I've got lots of reasons as to why I think that is. But that's what's got to get out of the way in order for us to exploit what we have and be the world leaders that we are. I, Grace, thank you. That was an excellent, I appreciate when someone like just grabs the soapbox and gets on it and just lets her fly. You, you touched on a bunch of things, but one, no, I love it. I love it. it makes for, hey, if they're still listening 37 minutes in, they clearly like us. So they're clearly curious what we have to say about the world. <laughs> it's my test. When you get to the end, it's, it's okay. I love what you said, and I've had a, I've had a handful of, of you know indigenous guests on the show, or not saying they're representative for all the, the nations, but there is a pro industry, a pro let's work together, let's do things. That's not a narrative that gets pulled up into mainstream media sometimes of the us versus them. And I've talked to again a handful of guests on the show, very involved in this province, in the indigenous different nations, different communities, and their story was all about let's work together, but let's just do it right, but let's do this. Like there was no like let's let's not. And I think that's an interesting narrative that the, the media church chooses the thread it, the, the string it wants to pull but remembering the media though remembering who operates and owns the media who it's funded by and the stories and the narratives that they want to share mainstream media i mean um you know what happened at coastal on coastal just a few weeks ago right um there were many communities that came out and said we do not endorse what's going on mm -hmm. up here on this yeah. front. this is not yeah. a reality of what's happening but you did not see that on cbc you did not see those statements on you have to dig deep and go digger and and dig to find those narratives that are happening to get the truth of what's really taking place up there and you know all too often most people don't do the digging to really no, find out it's, they read the headlines it's harder work right it's, it's so because we're all busy we're busy running our companies we're busy trying to trying to do podcasts and make things happen and we and we and we skim over headlines and no i appreciate you guys sharing your perspective and one your story and talking about the realities of running a business and you know it's all it's all about timing i'm going back to your joke so so i don't know about your boxing skills but you were certainly uh, your your, your punchlines and your timing was pretty good phil so i'm gonna give you <laughs> points on that one for sure oh thank you <laughs> circling back to the beginning of our call but um i love what you guys are doing i, I and I love that you took the risk of bringing something that you believed in into this market and then took the hard task of kind of pushing an idea uphill of getting a new idea into the mind of your consumers and helping them to solve a problem in a way that they think already was solved or can't be solved and I don't want to bother. And never to underestimate, selling a new idea is one thing, selling up against a customer who goes, well, no, no, I already know what you sell and I don't need that or it didn't work for me. That's really challenging. And I think there's a lot of empathy needs to go out for companies out there that are doing, doing that work and spending the time to do the webinars and get customers out. And I'm happy to always showcase companies like yours because it's clear you guys are willing to do it a little bit different to make an impact. And last question, and Phil, this seems like a narrative for you, but how much of like your North Star and like what really you believe in and what's important to you, how much has that been a driver for you to kind of in those tough days when you're like, okay, another knocking on another door, but how, how's the pledge has that, that purpose side of it been a factor for you during this whole journey? You know, it's been a, it's a 
pretty been a pretty big deal. I occasionally people around here. My joke around here is usually, you know what? I should have made gravel. I should have bought big rocks, crushed them, made little rocks, and had people buy the little rocks so I could buy more big rocks. That would have been a lot easier. Um, <laughs> selling technology enough. is hard, but I really do believe. I think there's there's a better way. Oftentimes, there's a better way to do things. There's a way that can be more efficient, that can help companies make money, can create jobs. On this oil and gas thing, you know, it drives me nuts because going back to this pipeline things, we've changed the direction of some pipelines that used to flow material into the U.S. So we can bring natural gas condensate back up to Canada through those pipelines. And that helps us dilute bitumen so we can ship it. One of the things we do is we're trying to help plants in Alberta make more condensate. So we import less and use more local product. So every once in a while, I get my good guy's little zealous angel halo going with it. But I do believe we're doing something good. And we just had an internal meeting, kind of a day-long meeting, like a State of the Union address. And it was kind of, I was really happy because I have this an hour and a half presentation that was about core values of the company and I made it five years ago and I gave it again at this new one and I said to Grace afterwards I said you know what's pretty cool is I didn't change a single slide in that presentation those are still our values this is how we do business and we do things like we brought in a policy as soon as we started looking like things were you know we're going to survive COVID and all that sort of stuff we brought in a policy that with every purchase order that comes in, we put a percentage of that purchase order to a charity. And we pick a charity. If a guy in Grand Prairie buys an analyzer, we say, hey, we're going to make a donation to Grand Prairie's kids sport or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and it's part of big We just, we just did one yesterday. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scott, Scott, our uh, sales and service director, he was just up in Grand Prairie giving a check to kids sport yesterday. Um, oh, that's uh, awesome. That's great. I'm so glad I asked that question at the end. I think it's so important. And we live in a society now where that is so much, you know, considered a necessary, like a necessity, but not every company does it to hear you guys have done something and you didn't overcomplicate it. Hey, if what's important to you and your community, we're giving going to give you a percentage back. Like it doesn't, sometimes these things get blown out of proportion and may, they get too complicated that they don't survive. I'd love that you guys just made it kind of a one-to-one. That's awesome. Kudos to you guys. That's great. I love Thanks. that. Story. Yeah. We even did a thing when we didn't Kudos. get to do, but, um, we tried to, it just again with COVID. There's a, local, there's a police station nearby. And uh, the end of September, there's a police appreciation day at the end of September. And so we had gone over to them to say, I like to barbecue. I bought my green egg into the shop. And I said to these, we went over to the local police station. And we said, hey, on that police appreciation day, we're going to put the barbecue outside. And any officer who comes by, free lunch. Now, Turns out they said they, good for you, good for you COVID shut her down, but we're planning to do that yeah, every yeah, year. No, intention, though, intention. Next year, next yeah. year comes around COVID. We'll blame, we'll blame COVID for yeah. everything. Yes, yes, it is. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Insight-analytical.com. Check it out. You guys have a great website. It's well done. I appreciate, again, I'm a marketer, so I appreciate when someone puts effort into their website, which is obvious that you have done. Um, what are the best ways for people to get hold of you? Phil, if someone wants to reach out to your grace, is it LinkedIn? What, what are the best ways? 
uh, what you could you could email well Phil would be a direct email. We can get us on LinkedIn. <laughs> We've got a great YouTube channel as well that's loaded with all types of oh sweet I didn't check out your YouTube channel. That. Yeah, absolutely awesome channel there. We've got tons of information <laughs> on that. But LinkedIn as well. But I'm uh, G Corey at Insight-Analytical.com, and then uh, it's Phil at InsightAnalytical.com. Yeah, you guys have yeah, and you guys are both on LinkedIn, and you're both and you're both easy to find on there for sure. But thank you guys. That was an awesome conversation. I enjoyed learning about your business and getting to know you both a little bit better. And thank th thank you for the time. Yeah, that was great. Thought let's do it again. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely, it's a date. It's a date.